Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Man, that was some powerful worship and just so grateful for, for that. Are you glad you came to church today? Yes. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, um, I uh, was reminded of this moment this week uh, of just something that happened in my life um, right, right on the cusp of having our first child. We were told that um, some of our friends were like, hey, you're going to have a kid now. Be prepared for your life to be totally different. Amen. Yeah, this, is, this was like the prevailing advice. Uh, they were like, be prepared to sleep um, never. You'll never go out of your house. You'll never do fun things. You'll only, you'll be, a, you'll be serving this little baby forever. So do something fun while you can. <laughs> That's the advice that was given to me. We call this a baby moon. Have you heard of a baby moon? Like the honeymoons after you get married, the baby moons before you have your first kid. And that was an interesting advice to give to a young couple that didn't have two nickels to scrape together. Because Chris and I automatically felt like, oh gosh, like what, what, what are we, what are we going to do? Like where, where are we going to go? Like we can't, we can't afford anything. <laughs> and so uh, one day uh, we were sitting with a group of friends and they're, so they were asking us this question, what are you guys going to do? And I was lamenting like, I don't know, man, like uh, if we we're going to do anything, we'd go to London. Like my sister just moved there. We haven't had a chance to, to see her uh, set up and her life and what it's like on the other side of the pond, as it were. And um, I guess if we had all the money in the world, we'd go to London, but we don't. And so probably not. And so we're not going to do anything. And he said to me, he goes, well, that just so happens that I work for an airline and I have a whole bank of tickets and I would love to give you round trip tickets uh, to London and back if that would help you. And I was like, would that help me? Oh my goodness, there is a God. Right? I mean, like, I was like, would you take those tickets? Yeah, yeah you take those tickets. And then he said, but they're standby tickets, which means they don't always work. And so you might get to London, but you might not be able to get back. Are you willing to take that risk? And Chris and I looked at each other, young, foolish, and naive, and we both said, yeah, we're willing to take that risk. Let's go. And so the day came, I remember this so, so well, we packed for London and um, we showed up at the gate and we checked in because with these tickets, you had to check in, let them know that you were there. And we asked him, we were very anxious. We were like, hey, how many people are, are, are flying standby? And um, we found out that there were more people flying standby that day than they had seats on the plane. We also found out that my friend wasn't really that high up in the company <laughs> because we, we were the last on the list. So I looked at Chris and, ah, oh, good, well, let's go sit down, call a, call a family member, see if they can pick us up. And um, so we started making our plans to bail on our trip. All of a sudden, over the loudspeaker comes this uh, announcement, will Dan Jacobson please come to the gate? And I was like, Kristen, they're calling me. And so I rushed over, I'm Dan Jacobson. And they said, wonderful, good news, we have two seats on the flight. Um, and since you're the only couple that is flying, we thought that though you're last on the list, we would give you the first right of refusal to purchase these tickets. I said, purchase these tickets? I have tickets. They said, well, these are first class tickets. We don't just give these away. If you'd like, you can buy them. And I said, well, um, okay, how much, how, how much are they? And... Um, she did that thing where she didn't say it out loud. She just turned the monitor around. <laughs> and the number read 6300 $6,300. And then the thing she did say out loud, she goes, that's per person. 
I was like, oh. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't plan for this moment. I don't think today is going to be the day where we purchase these tickets. What I can tell you is that if space opens up in the luggage bins above the seats, we will be over there in the corner crying and contemplating on how some people live. So I told Kristen, I was like, yeah, they want us to buy them. We can't afford that. And we stuck there. And it's taken a while for us to connect with our family. We we're trying to figure out how we we're going to get home. And the whole entire gate emptied onto the plane. I don't know if you've ever been in an airport where you're supposed to be on the plane, but you can't get on the plane and you see everybody else getting on the plane. And it's a really lonely feeling. It's like a really miserable bottom of life type of feeling. And I was sitting there kind of alone in my thoughts and Kristen was trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden, out of that little walkway thing where you go on, the little rampy thing, uh, that's a technical word, the rampy thing, uh, out of there came a, a flight attendant and she looked at us and she went, psst, come over here. And I was like intrigued. I was like, okay, okay. I was like, Kristen, come on, I think this is good. And she said, so good news, we still have two seats on the plane and I just wanted to check with you to see if you wanted to buy them now. I said, no, I can't. She said, so you're declining to purchase these seats? I said, yes, I'm declining to purchase these seats. She said, okay, well, more good news. Since we failed to sell all of our seats, we have two seats available for you. I said, you're kidding me, right? She goes, no, I've got two seats. Now, they are in first class, and you don't really look like you belong in first class, so let me give you a little bit of advice. This is literally what she said to me, guys. This is literally what she said. She said, you don't look like you belong in first class, and it would be offensive to the other people to know that you didn't pay anything for these seats, so just go into the plane, pretend like you belong. If anybody asks, just tell them you're doing something nice for yourself, and just play it cool. Otherwise, I'll get fired. I said, you're joking me. She goes, no, here's your tickets. Enjoy your flight. And Kristen and I, in that moment, started freaking out because we had gone from being on the outskirts to being in the midst of. We had gone from being maybe outcast to those of first class. We had gone from those who, who had no access to those who had all the access that we could ever imagine, access that I didn't know was possible on an airplane. Have you flown first class to London before? I had my own pod. I had my own uh, steward or stewardess or whatever the flight attendant. I, ha I had many salt pepper shakers. I had boy, man. It was incredible. I don't know um, if you've ever had a moment in your life where you ever experienced the radical generosity or like this unexpected hospitality that made you kind of go like, how, the, how, how in the world am I actually here right now? This is incredible. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you showed up at the hotel on your honeymoon. You told them it was your honeymoon and they upgraded you to uh, better treatment or, or, or that, that moment where, you know, it could be a, just a regular thing where your kid just gets invited to play at a higher level uh, sport, sporting team. I, I don't know what it is, but there's these moments in life, all of us have them where like the dividing wall of access gets broken down somehow and regular people like you and me find ourselves treated to things that we otherwise couldn't afford or couldn't get for ourselves. That's, in, in essence, what our series, All Access, has been all about. That Jesus offers us something incredible, something decadent, something extravagant, soul-satisfying. That Jesus is the one who gives us all the access in the world to the life that God has for us, the full life from God. And the promise that God gives to us in participating in his kingdom and having our lives kind of be reborn and having this world be renewed and having heaven come down to earth and, and the ultimate promise of us 
after this life is over, having life eternal. All of this to us could sound too good to be true. All of it could sound to us like, well, I, don't, I don't actually think that I'm qualified or I'm the type of person that would actually get that type of treatment. I'm lowest on the list and there's a lot of people in front of me. Actually, um, a lot of people are so honest with, with pastors still. I love that. And I've heard, if, if we were talking honestly, you know, I've heard this sentence said before by people. Um, they say, if heaven is real, then I don't think it's for me because I'm not that good of a person. Have you ever thought that before? If heaven is real, I don't really think it's for me because I'm not that good of a person. And I totally resonate with that. In fact, here's the big question. All of us have asked this question at some point or another. It doesn't matter if you're a Jesus follower or if you're a follower of Buddha. It doesn't matter who you are. You've asked this question before. Who deserves to get into heaven? Who actually gets the first class ticket into eternity? And this was a question that was asked by Jesus or asked of Jesus uh, by some of the people that he was spending time with. Jesus one day was uh, sitting around a banquet table. It was a really exclusive banquet table. It was like a black tie affair uh, in his town. And he, he was the guest of honor and, and the local uh, religious leaders had invited him to sort of test him, to sort of test his mettle, to really put him through his paces to see if he was one of them. See, back in this day, uh, this was what would happen. A rabbi would come into town and the local uh, establishment would get him together and say, are you with us? And so they would ask him questions. They would ask him sort of like testing questions. And one of the questions was, who gets into heaven? And so there's a guy at the table who asked this question after Jesus has said some stuff. And he says, hey, little rabbi, this, this all sounds really great. Last question, kind of a softball for you. Like, who do you think gets into heaven? And what they expected him to say was those who have lived their life in moral conformity to God's law. Or those who have been really good, those who have prioritized God, who always kept the Sabbath, who always went to synagogue, who lived their life really cleanly. To those belong the kingdom of God. And if Jesus would have said that one very simple statement, they would have raised their glasses, toasted the new rabbi, and moved on to talking about football. But Jesus, in this moment, doesn't answer the statement with an answer. He answers this, this question with a story. It's very on brand for Jesus to respond to a question with a story. And actually, this story is the same exact story that's being told today in our Heartlands uh, kids, uh, toddlers group. So if you're like a parent of a young kid, they're learning about this right now. And we've told them to ask you questions about this story on the ride home over lunch. And if you can't answer them, you owe them gelato. So pay attention. That's what I'm saying. Here's how the story goes. This is what Jesus says. Uh, he, he replied to this question, who gets into heaven, with a story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began to make excuses. Now, before I jump into this, I just want to acknowledge the fact that when Jesus is asked about heaven, he doesn't respond by saying, the people that get to float around playing harps on clouds all day are these people. He actually responds in his own vision of heaven as if it was a massive community feast, like this really extravagant festival, something that everyone was invited to, something that was going to be maybe the talk of the town, something that was incredibly exciting that you would rearrange your calendar and your life around. Um, I personally... I'm glad I'm not someone who is from the Italian Renaissance times where, where our vision of heaven was just about disembodied spirits floating on clouds for eternity doing nothing. I could think of 
Four things more boring than that, but I can't say any of them in church because they have to do with the Denver Broncos, but that's fine. <laughs> no, I, we have this lame view of heaven. And here's what I want to pick up from this is that Jesus actually envisions, we took it down, but if we put it up, uh, a banquet that's been prepared for, for guests. But in this banquet, all the guests that are invited into this moment, they come up with excuses. Now, um, maybe to show us how uh, really lame these excuses are, I could share with you maybe a current modern day example. Here at Heartland, uh, our ladies have a community that, that gathers all across Kansas City, and it's a community called the Crowded Table. Ladies, have you ever been to a Crowded Table event? You've ever done a thing? You're like, yeah, they're amazing. Um, my wife hosts them, and I crash them at the tail end of the party. Uh, and so all it is is a connecting event for you to meet your people and have a, have a good time, experience uh, the joy of, of, of community. And um, imagine that you decided that you were going to host a crowded table event. You got the whole entire uh, RSVP list together. You figured it out. You went to Hy-Vee. You purchased all the goods. You let your husband smoke a brisket or something like that. Maybe you smoked the brisket, let's be honest. And, uh, and you did all the things, right? You, like, you, you did it up. You got good, good dessert, good meat. You didn't buy the beverages that came in a box. You bought the ones that come from a different place. You know what I'm talking about? Like you went high scale on this thing. Six people know what I'm talking about. The other 75% of you are like, he's not talking about what I think he's talking about. I don't know. It's kind of, yeah. You went big. You went big. And everybody shows up today and your house smells amazing. And it looks amazing. And it's really great. And it's just a crowded space and you're, you're, there's a buzz about it. And then it comes time for you to actually serve the, like a meal. And, and so as the, as the hostess, you say, hey, I would love to invite everybody to come to the table. The food's ready. Everybody accepted your first invitation into your house, but, but then there's a second invitation to your table. And imagine what would happen if the moment you said, hey, the food is ready, everyone come sit down, one by one, all of your guests started making excuses. One of them says, well, I'd love to sit and eat, but I just remembered that my kids got an early hockey practice tomorrow, and so I, I'm just going to go home and get enough sleep. Or um, I think my husband's buying a brand new car tonight, and I just want to test drive it and make sure that we got our money's worth. Or... Um, Oh, I just remembered in a couple days my family's coming in from out of town. I probably should start, start cleaning my house, right? If, if, if one by one you're hosting a meal and nobody makes it to the table, you'd probably be really offended, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd probably be really angry. In fact, you might even call me or Brad or someone else here at the church kind of like, what's up with the people of our church that they're so rude, right? I mean, you'd be angsty about this. This is exactly the situation that Jesus describes here in Luke chapter 14. Look at what, look at what happens. I'll tell you the first thing. The first person who Jesus says is invited, the servant shows up to tell him, come into the, into the space. And he says, well, I've just bought a, a piece of land. And I can't come right now because I have to go inspect it. Now, when I moved to Kansas City, um, I, the, the market was um, crazy on houses. And um, I could not be physically present to actually see the house that I then later contractually obligated myself to for a large sum of money. <laughs> it worked out, guys, it's fine. But every Bible scholar that I read this week put in black and white ink on the page, nobody would ever buy a house without first walking through it. In like manner, no one would ever buy a field in the first century without seeing it before they went to it. Man, they didn't expect COVID. <laughs> but this is true. It, it was complicated back in this day to, to buy real estate. And so this first person says, uh, you know, I've got this transaction and, 
and there's something fishy about it. The second person says this. I'll show you this. Uh, I've, he says, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. Now, everybody knows pairs are two. So five pairs is how many oxen? Ten oxen. This is a Ford F-350 is what this is. It's a V-10, uh, really strong. Um, five pairs of oxen. Um, you would buy oxen in pairs. Uh, you would test them out beforehand because um, if you've ever test driven a car and it pulls radically to the left, you don't buy that car. Likewise, if you, buy, if you test drive a car and you push the gas pedal and it doesn't move, you don't buy that car. Oxen were the same way. If you go to an oxen and it doesn't move, you don't buy that ox. And if you've got two oxen, one's really big and one's really small, and you hook them up together on the same yoke, they would run in circles and get nothing done. And so there was actually a complicated skill in matching up oxen. Nobody would ever buy one pair of oxen, let alone five pairs of oxen, without trying them. For him to say, please excuse me, is rather insulting to the host. The last person, the last person says, well, no, please excuse me. He just says, um, I've just gotten married, so I can't come. And this is for a couple of reasons that I don't have time to get into, but this is the most insulting of them all. Because uh, when you would get married, you would send out invitations a year in advance and nobody would try and compete with your wedding celebration. And likewise, if you were getting married, setting a date, you wouldn't try and compete with a great feast like the one that the master is holding. There's no, please excuse me, there's no, sorry, I can't make it. It's just simply a very rude, I have this other thing going on in life and I can't, I can't make it. Now here's my question. When Jesus was asked this question, who gets into heaven? And he starts this story. Why does he start this story about who gets into heaven with a banquet that three high-profile guests can't attend? Why does Jesus go through all the rigmarole to set this whole thing up? And, and I want to give it to you this way. I think it, it, Jesus is trying to show us a really basic thing about the heart of God. It's that God invites us to the feast, but, but check this out, um, all invitations can be refused. That kind of goes against what's said in The Godfather. You know, Don Colerone had that line of, um, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. And we, we, we get that. Sometimes our families operate like that, don't they? I know sometimes um, I feel social pressure to attend things that uh, I don't really have time for, I don't really uh, want to go to, and, and yet there's this pressure on me. Like, I really can't refuse that offer. I have to go through it. Even though I don't want to, I have to. But in this story, Jesus is showing us that even the greatest banquet that was ever known to humanity could be refused by people who had other things going on. In every one of these excuses, every, every single one of these patterns, the, the, the people uh, come back to the servant and they say to him, well, I've done this thing. So now I have to do this other thing. And I cannot do your thing. That's the pattern that each one of them follows. I've done this thing. I bought a field. I've got some uh, oxen. I, I, I've got a wife. Now I have to do this thing. I've got to go inspecting. I've got to try them out. I've got to be with her. And so I cannot do your thing. This is, um, this is us. I mean, how many things do you have going on right now? I mean, I've got people I'm seeing frequently. I've got events happening a lot of times. I've got dreams and goals that I've written down that I keep in front of myself that I try and pursue after on a, on a daily and weekly and monthly basis. I've got things going on. 
Do you make excuses to God because of the things that you've done that now you have to follow up with and so you can't do his thing? I think what Jesus wants to show us is that God doesn't operate like a dictator. God doesn't operate in a manipulative, conniving, or even threatening type of way. He doesn't stand behind his invitation with an or else. No, unlike us, God simply just holds it out for us to accept or reject. Which means God's invitation is truly the only invitation in the world that is really up to you. That the choice is truly yours. I think Jesus telling this story wants us to take seriously the fact that we can deny or reject this invitation. And I want you to think about this from the standpoint of the servant. There's a servant who works for the greatest master, the richest person in the entire community. He's got the greatest estate. All the best chefs work for him. Uh, He's got the best group of cattle, the, the nicest property. He hosts the best parties with the best wine cellar, with the best master of ceremonies, and you work for him. You know the type of people that come to your parties. You know the type of parties that you put on. That whole entire day, that whole entire week even, you have been hand-selecting the the cow that would be slaughtered for the beef tenderloin and the chicken and the, the sides and the drinks and you've put together this amazing feast. That whole day, you've been in the kitchen smelling the smells. You ever cook a Thanksgiving meal only to find out that the smell of the Thanksgiving meal has somehow wafted onto you and taken up residence on yourself? I imagine this servant going out once the meal was prepared. He had just tasted everything. Yes, it's so good. This is the height of culinary perfection. People are going to love this. This is going to be the best party ever. Takes a couple steps out onto the road and does one of these things. But he's not a repulsed by it because it smells like filet mignon, right? Like he just, he's carrying the aroma of perfection on him. And he gets to the house where... The first guest, the honored guest is going to be and says, hey, come, this one's going to be amazing. Are you ready? We're ready for you. And even though he's tasted the food and he smells the smells of, the guest still says no. And then you go to the next one. And they say no. And then you go to the third. And what they say to you is a no that sounds a lot like a lie. How would you feel for those people who said no? knowing what they're missing out of, having FOMO on their behalf, how would you feel for them? Uh, Moreover, how would you feel for your master? You you might feel um, sad. You might feel angry about just all the work that you've gone through and all that he's invested in this and these people are saying no. Uh, You might feel uh, afraid because you know your master is not going to be happy. And this is exactly what Jesus says happens. The servant returns to his master and tells them exactly what they had said. And his master was, everybody say this word with me, furious. The master was angry. Here's where this is uncomfortable for us because in this story, the master represents someone pretty supreme. Who does the master represent? The master represents God. Jesus is the one telling us the story. Jesus is putting into the heart of God, anger. And that's not a comfortable feeling for us. You know, when we are offended in this world, we often return insult for insult, don't we? I mean, you want to take a higher road, but let's be honest, all of us take the middle road. 
Maybe it's the passive-aggressive road. Maybe it's the angry road. But we do something to get back at people. And whatever it is that this master says after this anger shows us what Jesus wants us to know about the heart of God. That was a confusing sentence, but here's what I mean. Whatever is in this space right here, whatever comes after that word the master said, is what Jesus wants us to know about who God is. And however you filled in the blank right here, right now, after this person's been insulted and forgotten and offended, really tells us the default posture of the heart that we have towards God. How have you filled in this gap right here? Maybe some of you trying to put yourself in the shoes of the master, you take your fury and you turn it into um, a, a woven fabric of expletives that can still be heard today. I wonder if maybe um, you, you take the fury and you turn that into um, seclusion from the rest of the community. If, if I'm not good enough for you, you're not good enough for me. I'm going to hide from you. Let's see what Jesus wants us to know about the heart of the master. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. This is the heart of God. You see, when insult was turned upon him, when um, injustice was experienced by him, he took all of those feelings, he took all of that rejection, and he, the word is reprocessed it. He changed it, he turned it, and he gave out grace. He chose in his goodness not to exclude the world, but instead to turn the pyramid from top to bottom, where those who are on the bottom rung of society all of a sudden had access to the first class experience, and those who were so well-to-do that they didn't think they needed this party were fi finding themselves on the bottom of the line. You know, what this tells me about the heart of God and, and the invitation that we receive from him is, is really simple, is that access is given not to the, the, the worthy, but to the willing. That access is given not to the wealthy or the deserving or those who are worthy to receive access into heaven. It's just simply measured by are you willing to come? Will you come? What, what Jesus does is he reorders the entire invitational process. He takes it not from the top down, but starts to invite people from the bottom up. Here's how this goes for, for me. Kristen and I, when we got married, we had um, that, that not-so-unique-to-us problem that we didn't have enough money to pay for all the guests that we wanted to invite. Did you have that problem? Is that just how poor I am? You had that problem too, right? You couldn't invite the 7,000 people on Facebook. You had to make a guest list. You had a mom or a dad or a father-in-law saying, hey, cut it off here. And that was our problem. We had, like, um, we had invitations based upon who was worthy to be there. So our parents... Never a question if they were going to show up at our wedding. Uh, our siblings, like, we wanted them to be there. Our extended families, they made the cut. Our friends that had known us and, and loved us and supported us in our community, we kind of argued over a few of them. <laughs> but then there were people like, you know, your t-ball coach from when you were six, do they, you haven't talked to him in 20 years, do they really have to be at your wedding? And your neighbor, you, don't, you only say hi to them when you go get the mail. Do, they, do we really have to pay $30 for them? 
And somewhere you, like I, had to make a cutoff of the invitations based upon who was worthy. You went from the top down. But what Jesus does, which is so unbelievable, is he, he goes from the bottom up. The reason you and I don't go from the bottom up, we go from the top down, is because there's less people top down. There's just way more people on the bottom who have less influence in our lives, who are, who are not connected to us. For us, it's a strategy based in scarcity. That you and I don't possess the resources to invite everyone in the world to participate in our thing. But you know who scarcity is not a concept for? God. God has no concept for what it means to lack. God doesn't look at the world and look at his creation and look at us and say, oh, that's too far for me to manage. That's too far for me to invite. That's too far for me to provide for. No, God looks at the world and he says, you know what's crazy about who I am? I have everything, everything you need. And so to prove it to you, I'm not gonna start with the worthy and work down. I'm gonna start with the unworthy and work up. And whoever wants to come to me can come. Whoever wants to find rest with me can come. Whoever wants to enjoy my goodness and my bounty and my blessing and my provision, whoever wants to come can come. Access is given to the willing, not the worthy. And this is incredibly good news for you and me. Because um, this is my story. Maybe it's yours too. You know, we're very um, capable people today, right? Like we've got systems and, and jobs and resources. And so not many of us are the ones who are living um, out in the alleyways of town or on the streets. But I remember growing up, I was told that I was a certain type of person. I was told by other people that I was good. They would look at me and be like, you're such a good kid. And I remember the day when I started making bad decisions. And I realized that what everybody had told me about myself was no longer true because of the things that I had done myself. And I became worried. I became worried because I felt if, if you knew the things about me that I know to be true about me, you wouldn't let me be in the places that you let me be. You wouldn't invite me in. You wouldn't let me be a part of the community. You'd actually kick me out. Spiritually speaking, I realized that, that, that I wasn't, I wasn't worthy. That if God was going to look up upon anyone and choose them for heaven, he wasn't actually going to choose me because I, I had done things that I wasn't proud of. And I don't know what your story is, but I bet it's pretty similar, right? I bet it's pretty similar that at some point you know, the, you know the truth about who you are and the things that you've done that maybe don't really connect the dots with what you think God wants from you. And so there's this question of if, I, if anyone was going to be able to get into heaven, could it be me? And the answer all of us give is the answer of No. Imagine being someone who was on the streets, living in the alleyway, hearing that the richest person in town wanted you to come to the banquet. You would protest. You would say, no, not me. I'm dirty. I haven't showered. I, I need to clean up. I don't have anything to wear. I don't belong there. And yet this is exactly what the servant did. The servant went out in the grace of the master and brought in so many people into the banquet to taste and to see the goodness of the master. And he came back and he found out that when he had been out finding people to bring in, that the master had actually made more space for more people. 
Notice, notice what happens. Uh, the, ma- the, the servant comes back and finds out that there's still more space. And so he says to the master, we still have room. What do you want me to do? And the master said, go out, not just in the streets in the town, but, but go out to the country lanes and behind the hedges. That, that's like, you know, behind all the property lines. You know, it's kind of think of Zelda and you're discovering more lands, right? Uh, and urge anyone you find to come so that why? The house will be full. The heart of our God is that he has a full house. The heart of our God is that he loves his people so much that he wants and he desires all people, even the people who live furthest from his own, that they could come near. And maybe this is the most surprising thing of all, is that you've assumed in your life that you would not have access to God because of who you are. Not because you're so worthy, but because you're like, no, I know I'm not worthy. And I've been so distant from God. I don't even think I live near God. And I just don't even think he wants to come to me. And you're here today finding out that, that Jesus loves you so much that he sent, he sent himself down the road as the servant, outside to the country lanes and behind the hedges to urge people, whoever they were, to come that the house might be full. And this is what I find to be most amazing is that Jesus came to anyone who was willing. He came to the lowest of lows. He came to those beneath the line in our world. This is why on Christmas we celebrate Jesus born in a manger, not born with a silver spoon. This is why um, the shepherds could come to the cradle that night because they were also those who were outcasts and those who were lowly in the world. And this is, this is why if it's possible for them, it's possible for you to know and to love all that God has given to you, the life that he's given to you, to, to, to reject all of the guilt and the shame that we live our lives with and to accept once and for all the fact that we're invited to Jesus' party. And here's what I think it, it shows us is that um, not only is, is the invitation for those who are willing not, not worthy, but in God's house, at God's party, um, he always, he always has room for just one more. Not just one more, he's got room for one more, and then another, and then another, and then another. Which means he's got room for me and for you. The mind-blowing thought for me is that God wants me. I don't know what your relationship with God has been like or your relationship with church. You know, sometimes your relationship with people who follow Jesus can be more complicated than your relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we give the impression around churches that you're so different than us. You think differently than the rest of us or you've done things differently than us or you are different. And the impression can be that you're not welcomed in the space. And I wonder if that's you who, who feel so distant from God because the church has pushed you away. Can you just hear me say, first and foremost, I'm sorry that that's your experience. I hope that you find our church to be the type of place where, where we've got room for you because Jesus has room for you. But I also want you to hear the invitation loud and clear that God's got space in his house for you. Not because you're worthy. Quite frankly, not because you're wealthy but only if you're willing. Don't let the way that you've been treated by other imperfect Jesus followers keep you from making the step towards Jesus. And in fact, one of our heartbeats is that we would get better at this together as we continue to learn the grace of the Father. 
But maybe you're someone who today you, you think, well, I don't, I don't feel like I fit anywhere. I don't know that I belong. I don't know that my life matters. And in fact, you know, if I could be quite honest with you, Dan, if, if, if I could tell you the deepest, darkest secret in my heart, it's simply this, is that if I weren't here, I don't think anyone would notice. And I love this story about Jesus telling uh, about this, this parable of this banquet because it's exactly the ones who don't think they matter who end up showing up. It's actually the ones who don't think that their life is significant that find out that God calls them worthy. And they enjoy relationship with him. I don't know if you hear the invitation of God to you today and you just want to say to him, God, I want to enjoy this feast. I want to enjoy heaven. I want to have heaven on earth in my life. And I recognize that Jesus, you're the one who came from heaven to earth as someone who was an outcast. And though you had everything, you gave it all up for me, giving up your life, your life on the cross so that my sins could be taken care of, but then also rising from the dead so that I could be new. Help me know what it is to come to the Father through you. I wonder if, if you're the type of person who, who is here today and you've done that already and you want more of Jesus. You, you want to embrace that, that invitation of God, but you realize that you've done the excusing lately. You say, God, I, I'd love to have more of you in my life, but first I must do this other thing. The invitation to you is not predicated upon your performance, but simply your soul's willingness to come. I wonder, will you come? Will you come? I get the picture of Jesus as like the flight attendant saying to you, you've got a ticket in first class. The seats are there. You don't have to pay for them. You can't earn them. We're not gonna take them away from you. All you have to do is walk the tarmac, get on the plane and sit down. Enjoy your flight. Soon you'll be at your destination. So enjoy. And I wonder, have you taken the step to respond? Before we uh, close here in a song, I just want to ask you these three questions. These are uh, questions that we put on social media every single week. Um, but for this week, here, here's what they are. And we'll talk about these at midweek on Wednesday. I'd love for you to be there. Uh, we got space for you as well. I just wonder, have you ever experienced generous uh, invitations or assistance in your life that maybe shows you what Jesus is talking about in this story? And in this today's story, are you the type of person that related more to the excuse makers or the outcasts? You know, both of them have an opportunity to come in and the definition of, or the invitation was given to those who would respond. If you found yourself making excuses, can you name them? And then maybe you can ask God to take them from you. Or if you're someone who feels unworthy, can you name that? And say, God, I know that I am worthy because you love me and want me. And then if you've been following Jesus for a while or, or even for the first time this week, you wanna do this, how, how can you accept Jesus's invitation? what we're calling all access to God this week. I'd love for you to maybe think about that right here as I pray. I'd love for you to bow your head, close your eyes and to just talk to God with me. If you'd like to take that step right here, right now, I'd love to lead you in responding. You could just simply say in your heart, God, I don't know why, but you're calling me. And I don't get it. I don't understand it all. But I ask God that you'd help me see how good you are 
Help me see that you truly want me, that you've made space for me, that you've prepared a banquet for me, that you've given me these promises, and that you've above all sent Jesus, your servant, your son, to come to me to tell me how I can come to you, that he is the access. And so today I wanna say, yes, I'm willing. Would you help me know how? Would you be the Lord of my life? Help me to trust in you. In your name I pray, amen. I'd love for you to stand. The team's gonna lead us in a song and then we're gonna be dismissed. But I'd love for you to reflect upon just the invitation of God to you right here, right now.